Welcome to the Lobot Lounge, the gathering place for the gentleman nerds. The gentleman nerds are three entertainment aficionados who know each other through various media endeavors, getting together to talk about all things nerdy, mostly in the vein of film, television, toys, and popular culture. Many topics are discussed, so please be warned, there are the potential for many spoilers. If you like what you hear, you can listen to past shows on iTunes or on our website, thegentlemannerds.com. And now, enjoy the show. And welcome to Ethel the Frog. Tonight on Ethel the Frog, we examine the cultural significance of the exciting world of pro soccer. Our guests tonight include Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, Che Guevara, and a small puddle of brown liquid, possibly creosote. But first, and now for something completely different. Monty Python's Flying Circus is not, in fact, a circus, but a pseudonym for six actor-writer-artists who have engaged in giddy, high-flying absurdity and verbal lunacy for a half a century. They've also created animated cartoons that range from the surreal to the body to the hollow-eyed nightmarish. These <laughs> six brilliant chaps, five English, one American, came together at just the right moment, at just the right time, to spawn a comedy kingdom that dominated every medium in the entertainment world. Monty Python's Flying Circus has inspired us to produce the Gentleman Nerds Monty Python Tribute Show with Aaron D'Orive. Oh, yes. I love them. Love them. I'm excited about the show, folks. Mark Finn. Look, I came here for an argument. No, you didn't. And I'm... <laughs> and I'm your host and emotional touchstone, Harry Snapper Organs. Welcome <laughs> to the Lobot Lounge and the Gentleman Nerds. You know, oh, when, boy. <laughs> what I should have done, because I, I do a great uh, uh, Terry Jones doing a woman, is when he said, Aaron Dear I should have gone, Hello, Mrs. Primus. Hello, Mrs. Primus. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Oh boy! My goodness, yeah. yeah. Now, how, yeah, it's it it is it is with um with incredible excitement that we enter uh, this particular episode, ladies and gentlemen. Myself and my and my compatriots, are uh, our, our big Python fans. Um, we promise not to overly Python quote, although it's going to be difficult because yes. it's you can't really talk about Monty Python without tossing out a quote here or there. One of the most annoying things at most Ren fairs are people, you know, doing. Python-esque kind of things, because if you're not really good at it, or sometimes if you yes. are really good at it and you keep doing it, it becomes annoying. Um, but there's something magical about the Dada-esque absurdity of it all. Um, when did, um, and, and I'm, I'm assuming, gentlemen, that you, like me, discovered them on late night PBS. Is that true? That's yes, correct. that's right. right. We, yeah. we, we, all, uh, we all had similar uh, upbringing in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> The um, I mean, inspirations for Python. I mean, obviously there was a, a, a lot of a lot of perfect storms of comedy genius that came together. We had uh, a, a program called uh, the Goon Show in 1950s uh, in England, yeah. and uh, that, of course, you know, Peter Sellers was in that as well, and and um, 
Oh goodness, I can't think of anybody else. Uh, oh, oh um, uh, was Dudley Moore in that as well? Yes, I believe. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it was the sort of the start of that level of you know ridiculous comedy, I suppose. Um, Terry Gilliam, I think, worked on a on a, on a magazine called. Um, Oh goodness, what's the magazine? He was discovered. Oh, well, he did Mad Magazine for a while, I think. But anyway, Terry Gilliam is the only American member of Monty Python, right. and, and was brought in uh, to be mostly, you know, the animation. But he also appeared uh, on screen as well. Monty Python, of course, is uh, Graham Chapman and uh, Terry Jones, John Cleese, Michael Palin, uh, Eric Idle, uh, and of course Terry Gilliam, uh, and the unsung female python that no one ever seems to remember is beautiful carol cleveland who appeared yes. with them so many times she's sort of the unofficial female member of the troupe um so let's talk about the our first exposure to them particularly uh, obviously with the flying circus their television series uh aaron why don't you uh why don't you start us off and, and let us know if you can think that far back um uh, not uh, telling you old or anything but uh, <laughs> you can remember how you felt or what, what your first exposure to them was. No, absolutely. It was uh, uh, PBS. You know, okay. uh, I think most American uh, kids uh, discovered them uh, on PBS. Um, and I, you know, to be honest, I, I, I didn't know what I was watching. I, I really didn't know what I was looking at, <laughs> except that I was fascinated and incredibly amused. Um, but here are these uh, these grown gentlemen, all British, doing the most ridiculous things, um, and uh, uh, it, it's and it's so different, you know. Like you, you mentioned, you mentioned the Goon Show, which they all admired. Uh, their hero Spike Milligan uh, uh, was was one of the main people of the Goon Show. Um, but you know, they we we grew up watching a lot of these. Uh, um, uh, comedians that they admired, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, and right. um, you know people like that. And so um, I, I, I was aware of British comedy, but not 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 the way Python did it. You know, I'd never seen The Goon Show. Uh, I had no no idea that it even existed until much much later. Um, but I'd seen movies with Peter Sellers and you know Dudley Moore and Peter Cook and that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm even trying to think what was the first sketch I ever saw? And it, it wasn't any of the classics. It wasn't the parrot or crunchy frog or silly walks or any, it was just this, I don't even remember what it was. Um, and honestly, you know, I think because it stuck so much in my head, it probably was one of the many, many shows where, where Terry Jones um, and, um, and uh, uh, what is it? Graham Chapman were, were playing women. And like that, that's why I said the whole, hello, this is British, hello, this is conclusion. Um, it's just them, when they would play women and do those little those little screeching voices, oh my so God, good. that just brought me just just all kinds of, of joy. And, and I would laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, but yeah, that, that's PBS, PBS, and probably yeah. something where they were in drag playing women. Uh, that, that that sticks out in my head for some reason. It it always seemed kind of forbidden. It always seemed a little a little like I shouldn't be watching this for me, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because of Terry Jones's animation because he he didn't shy away from you know. And it's, oh, oh, it's very yeah, Gilliam, yeah, Gilliam, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Terry Gilliam, yeah, his animations. He didn't shy away from doing you know nudity at least like a a, a woman's body art wise, and then yeah, mess it up or do kind of crazy thing, <laughs> a big butt bouncing on boobs or doing whatever. But there was a level of oh, ooh, this is this is naughty. Should I should I be watching this kind of thing? 
But then you get past that and you start listening. And that's where I just hell over heels fell in love with them because they were so flipping smart. Yeah. You know, what they were saying and what they were doing, most either people really love Monty Python or they really don't get it. And I've met a lot of my fellow friends, comedians, um, who say to me, I just don't understand the appeal. And, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's like this. It's like, here's an example of, 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 of someone who doesn't get Monty Python. Hey, where'd you get the paint board? At the paint board store. That's not, you know, and they're like, I don't get that. That's not humorous to me, you know? <laughs> There's a level, I understand, of Dadaism that comes with the acceptance of the Monty Python absurdity. But if you really list, like the cheese shop sketch, which is yes. brilliant. Oh, Jesus Lord, it's brilliant. But little bits like that where you just listen and listen and it just keeps going and going. And they use language to such an amazing uh, skill level. Uh, Mark, tell us about the first time you were exposed to the Flying Circus. My uh, my experience mirrors yours because as we have previously discussed, you and I occupy different Earths vibrating at a slightly different uh, speed. <laughs> Sure. Um, it was the animation for me, you know, yeah. uh, I was probably eight years old, nine, maybe 10. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but, uh, uh, I was watching late night KERA, uh, out of Dallas, uh, for the science fiction shows, right. Uh, Dr. Who Blake seven. And uh, somewhere in that mix, I turned it on one night looking for that and got Monty Python's Flying Circus. And so, uh, I, you know, I, initially, the animation just was riveting to me because it didn't look like anything else. It was this really interesting uh, melange of, uh, of stuff, you know, the, 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 the cut and paste uh, techniques and the and the strangely drawn uh, caricatures. I found it all very fascinating, yeah. uh, very very interesting, and 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 the the kind of Rube Goldberg stream of consciousness of the of it all was also just uh, riveting to me. Uh, and so, I I don't remember the sketches uh, so much at the time until I got into uh, junior high and high school. That's when those really begin to impact me and. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, the Jay Ward Studios, Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff, uh, and, and I, what I've always enjoyed about uh, animation of that type is the idea that you can, uh, y you know, the kids watch it and go, "Oh, the moose and squirrel are so funny," and right. the adults right. watch it and go, "What did what did they just say?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's funny. That's funny Python for me in a nutshell. You know, it's uh oh look, they're dressed, they're dressed in silly costumes and hitting each other with a fish. Ah, that's great. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait. What's why are the why are the philosophers playing soccer? You know, right. <laughs> um, and so 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 that's uh, where I think a lot of people uh, miss the the boat when they when they talk about Python because you, for every sketch you can point to where it is a, a sort of an exercise in Dadaism, uh, you can point to another sketch that is bitingly uh, acerbic social satire. Yeah. Uh, they didn't do the same thing uh, from show to show. Uh, uh, and some, sure, a lot of it was cheeky. A lot of it was just them being, oh, what can we get away with? Yes, yes. But, but then there was some of it that was uh, a, a really interesting 
sort of uh, lighthearted dive down into things like, um, you know, our increasingly um, bureaucratized uh, world circa yeah. 1970s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that stuff was great. Uh, John Cleese would talk about the, uh, uh, he's one of the greatest, you know, comedians and, and, and thinkers, in my opinion, of, of our current world. Uh, he, he reflects back on Monty Python very fondly, but, you know, obviously there's a tongue in cheek sort of a, a representation of what they used to do. He said most of the sketches with heavy abuse were Graham's and mine. Anything that started with a slow pan across a countryside and impressive music was Mike and Terry's. And anything that got utterly involved with words and disappeared up any personal orifice was Eric's. So they, <laughs> yeah. they all, they all took, you know, they all contributed. They all wrote together. Um, they didn't have, when they pitched it to BBC, all they had was, Hey, we got some sketches and we've got some linking animations to kind of make these sketches flow together. Um, and of course, you know, BBC uh, didn't really hope have a whole lot to run. So they said, sure. <laughs> And uh, they all had to come up with a name. And I love I love the list of names that they thought of, but never actually used. Some of the most memorable ones were Bun, Whacket, Buzzard, Stubble, and Boot, a horse, a spoon, and a bucket. Um, <laughs> By the way, these are all excellent names for pubs. I just right. want to point that out. All <laughs> excellent names for pubs. You'll, you'll love this. Owl stretching time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a, a toad elevating moment, uh, <laughs> and and my possibly my favorite uh, potential Monty Python name, Vaseline Review. Um, wow! You know what? Wow. It's a shame they didn't go with the Japanese name for their show, which was the Gay Dragon Boys Show. <laughs> Absolutely true. The Gay Dragon oh Boys Show. Oh my lord! That's kind of genius, actually. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, the, the, you know, the network kind of shrugged their shoulders and were like, "Okay, whatever." You know, they they, just didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know what to make of it. And and at first, I think that they tried to shoot this before a live audience, uh, and the uh, a live audience just stared, sat there and stared at them. And they just didn't. didn't <laughs> it. So, um, but the, the Monty Python's Flying Circus, um, they have created. Uh, memorable sketches that have entered into our pop culture lexicon to this day. We talked about the cheese shop earlier where uh, John Gleese plays a, a someone who's slightly peckish and goes into a cheese shop where Michael Palin um, is the proprietor and asks for, while a bazooki is playing in the background, and asks for a host of different cheeses. Of course, Michael Palin's response is, nope, sorry, sir. Out, out of that, sir. You know, And they made that, you know, like Venezuelan beaver cheese. No, I'm sorry, we're out of that, sir. Um, <laughs> And he goes to this litany, <laughs> yay national cheese emporium, and, and he goes through this litany of cheese, and, and he just, yeah, no cheese, I'm sorry, so the cat's eating it. You know, they've got this amazing list of cheese. And at the end, please just says, look, I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you tell me there is no cheese, I will shoot you in the head. And the customer asks the question, Michael Palin says, mm, sorry, sir. And then Cleese shoots him in the head, turns to the camera and says, what a senseless waste of human life. And he puts a cowboy hat on and rides off into the distance. <laughs> that's the gist of it, you know? Yeah. But listening to this amazing tongue-tying, um, just, um, it's, it is, do us a favor. If you look it up, ladies and gentlemen, look at the cheese sketch and just, just listen to the way they, they, they mangle and play with and, and, and do wonderful things with language in that sketch. I absolutely adore that sketch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite sketches, guys. 
Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I uh, I actually had some of the Monty Python albums in high school, and so you know oh, some yeah. of the, some of the best ones were the were the audio ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I I have to say that uh, if if we're gonna go ahead and accept the classics, right? Yes. Uh, argument sketch, poor sketch, yeah. uh, dead parrot. Um, the one, the one that still to this day just kills me is sort of the cousin of the cheese shop, and that's the bookshop. Um, it's it's the setup is very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, customer comes in, and it's Cleese, of course, as the put upon proprietor of the bookstore, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> because no one does that character like better than John Cleese. Yeah. Uh, and somebody comes in and, and basically asks, uh, I'm looking for a book. He says, what are you looking for? He says, uh, it's a copy of uh, 30 Days in the Semi-Can Desert with uh, the Duchess of Kent by A.E.J. Eliot O.B.E. And he says, well, I, I don't know the book. He says, never mind. How about 101 Ways to Start a Fight? He says, bye? Well, some Irish gentleman whose name eludes me. Well, I don't know the book. Sorry. He says, well, what about David Copperfield? Ah, yes. Dickens. No. I beg your pardon? No. Edmund Wells. I think you'll find Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield, sir. No. David Copperfield. Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield with two Ps. This is David Copperfield with one P by Edmund Wells. David God. Copperfield with one P by Edmund Wells? Yes. Oh. Funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, sorry, we don't have David Copperfield with one P by Edmund Wells. And then, and, and of course, and as you can imagine, you know, it goes straight downhill from there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. I, I I laughed so hard. Of course, at the time, I had just gotten a job at a bookstore, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I honestly think that that sketch probably is what sort of. Uh, it might not have been a direct through line, but it, in its meandering way, that's what got Cleese over to Faulty Towers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but anyways, the book the bookshop is 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 probably my all time favorite sketch. It still makes me laugh. I can quote it from memory. It's it's uh it's absolutely uh, ingrained into my into my personal DNA. Yeah. Aaron, how about you? What's your uh, if you? Oh I my mean, God. I'm not, not not pinning you to the wall here, but just pick one of your favorite sketches and. And, and and give us some love. Just because it's so ridiculous, the fucking spam sketch. <laughs> I just it keeps going. It keeps going. And and you know, and basically it's just a matter of adding the word spam more to every single order after that. And then you get to the last one, which is the the whatever the the, the lobster in the basin in the lobster the thermidor, yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you know, but it's that what Mark was just saying, the spam uh, sketch, that's just that's a beautiful example of what they would do. They would take the ridiculous and then they would double, triple, quadruple down. Um, And and it just but instead of it being like, oh, God, you're, you're right. Some people do roll their eyes. But for me, instead of rolling my eyes, I just I'm guffawing. Because it's just, it, can it get more ridiculous? Yes. Yes, it can get more ridiculous. Um, yeah. they, they were the original hold my beer people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that spam sketch, uh, uh, the spam, uh, Jones and Palin wrote the spam sketch. And, and during World War II, spam was, you know, 
very, very prevalent in England because, you know, rationing and all. So they, they, a lot of, a, you know, it's kind of a gag at that. But the fact that they go into the into the cafe, the Green Midget Cafe, which is filled with Vikings. They're all <laughs> right. Like, well, even better, even Vikings. better. They're, they're lowered by wires into the fucking cafe. Yes, they don't walk that's right. Yes, they don't walk. Yeah, they're just like they... props. <laughs> Egg and spam, egg, bacon and spam, <laughs> so egg, bacon, sausage and spam, spam, egg, spam, bacon and spam, 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 bacon and spam. <laughs> Can you fill and every up? and every time I, I uh, every time I, you, you know, you can't buy a can of spam without thinking of that sketch. But <laughs> I can't, I can't cook a can of spam uh, with my eggs in the morning without thinking of that sketch because Kathy always comes over and, and says, do we have anything but spam? I don't like spam. Oh, I'll have yours, honey. Oh, I love spam. <laughs> so, so good. Um, as, as, so what about the yours? Ministry, What's yours? Well, the, ministry, the Ministry of Silly Walks has always been one of my favorites just because of the physical humor that John Cleese does as as Mr. Teabag, who does the, the silly walk. You know, the, the right the right leg isn't silly at all, and the left leg merely does a forward arterial half turn every alternate step. But it's it's yeah. for me, I like the kind of the long drawn out historical, the Terry Jones bits. Uh, Terry Jones, brilliant, brilliant man. He, he there was a sketch he wrote about um, <laughs> the Dinsdale brother, uh, the the Parada brothers, Doug and and Dinsdale Parana, and they were the the British uh, uh, gangsters, the parody of the famous British gangster brothers. But they had this long almost like a documentary uh, 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 segment or sketch about yes. the Piranha Brothers. And uh, Dinsdale uh, lived in internal fear that he was being pursued by a gigantic hedgehog named Spiny Norman. And <laughs> Doug, Doug was the enforcer of the brothers, and they had a, a sequence of Michael Palin uh, talking about going to see Doug. And he's like, oh, everyone was terrified to see Doug. I've seen grown men rip their own heads off rather than see Doug. And <laughs> when they go to see Doug, apparently he uses... Chasm metaphor, you know, uh, uh, it, you know, just it, it is, and it's so well crafted. And, and of course, the the sketch ends with uh, Spiny Norman uh, popping up behind buildings and, and looking for him. Dinsdale, Dinsdale, this giant right. my, uh, Terry Gilliam animated giant hedgehog poking his head up around the buildings looking for uh, for Dinsdale Piranha. The Piranha Brothers is, is probably one of my favorite sketches. Uh, it's, nice. it's a little less known, but it's it is ridiculous. It's um, and, and your, yours actually is good. It's kind of a, yours is a greatest hits one, too. You know, that's it, it, it. Whenever they have like sort of they all con converge is when things for me, though, that's when you go, oh, this is how these guys got together. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh no doubt, no doubt. Um, so, and by the I way, don't and I still, I still have, and that's another one of those things because it sticks in your head. I have the lumberjack song memorized because not, how can you not? Oh yeah, yeah. Not have the fucking lumberjack song. Oh, God. And so it's that, but it's that yes. kind of thing. And, and they had a knack for knowing what it was going to be yeah. an earworm, what was going to stick in your head. Um, yeah, yeah. It, the transition between sketches and sometimes from one sketch straight into another sketch. I never wanted to do this. You know, I never wanted to be an architect. I never wanted to be you yeah. know, a, a weatherman. I always wanted to be a lumberjack. And then they just jump yeah. into something else and they're being <laughs> um, Yeah, no, absolutely not. And and I promise guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be the Spanish inquisition here, uh, but, um, <laughs> but, but I, I'd like to try to pick your brains for just a little bit more uh, before we leave the flying circus and go into their motion pictures. Um, as far as the Flying Circus goes, 
we talked about our, our first initial uh, exposure to them, uh, our favorite sketches. If you had to pick a Python member that you somehow closely related to or identified with more, did you have a favorite cast member? Oh, gosh, that's like asking me to pick one of my children. I know, um, I know, I know. Oh shit. Uh, okay, okay, all right. I can I can answer this. All right, go ahead. In my in my youth, uh it was John Cleese. Yeah. Uh when I was when I was probably at my most uh outraged at the world uh and the stupidity of others, it it was Cleese. Yeah. Uh in my thirties, uh it was Eric Idle. Uh yeah. because yeah. uh of of the cleverness with which he wrote everything, uh, the wordplay. Uh, as I've gotten uh, older, uh, it's probably um, Michael Palin, uh, because Palin has that everyman quality, and he always he was always he always played the the Cockney, yeah. uh, right, uh, blue collar guy. What's up, squaw? Right. You know that, that he was that guy, and right. so uh, I, in the in in the shows, uh, those were my uh, my favorites uh, as far as as far as that was concerned. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it, it, it's kind of hard to beat uh, Cleese. I mean, I, I think I think most of us will probably agree that early on, Cleese just stands out. He just stands yeah. out in every single thing he does. Um, and so uh, agreed. I think I think it's hard to go. Well, you know, yeah, there's Eric Idle and there's Chapman, but Cleese, man, Cleese. <laughs> he, he literally stands uh, uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, but uh, no, he's hilarious. But yeah, Terry Jones, I've always had a soft spot. And by the way, this is colored by the movies, I will admit. Yeah. Terry Jones, not so much from the, from the show, uh-huh. but once you start factoring in the movies, uh, especially like, you know, like the Brian and such, um, Terry Jones just really shines as a wonderfully ridiculous character. Yes. Um, and, and, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Terry, Terry has always been mine uh, as well, Aaron, and no surprise there, brother, but you know, the, there's something about him that I felt a kinship to being myself in sketch comedy troops for years and years and years, improvisational sketch comedies. Um, I was always, kind of taking those roles that I would assume Terry Jones would have taken. Those right. my, my my stature, my, my my set in the troupe. I always felt that that somehow there was a kinship between Terry and I. And I always loved I loved it when when he would would go completely off the rails. Uh, but he also uh, an amazing intelligence and 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 thoughtfulness in his writing. Uh, even when he was doing ridiculously silly things. Um, right. Yeah, Terry for me Terry Jones. In fact, um, I, I'm we're recording this on um, February 9th, 2020. Terry Jones uh, is no longer with us on this planet. He he went on to to bigger and better things, uh, probably killing upstairs. But I, I I had to do it. I I, I Terry Jones passed, and I said I, I I there's a part of me that misses him. So I recreated the infamous nude organist uh, at a at a at a piano, <laughs> and. Uh, Took took oh, pictures and, and shared them with my dear Python friends of, of myself with a with little more than a collar and a tie, uh, sitting with a big big poofy hair wig, smiling very bigly uh, at, at a piano. That was my Terry Jones moment, and I just nice. I love that guy. I love that guy. Um, the the motion pictures that they did that that Python went on to do. Um, it, the first ones were just basically. I mean, and now for something completely different was right. 1971. 
and it was a collection of like 40 of their best sketches and they, that they recreated um, and they included sketches like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hell's grannies. <laughs> um, the funniest joke in the world. Remember that one with the joke yeah, that yes. uh, would kill you if you, if you heard it, um, the lumberjack song, the dirty fork where the, the, it just bills and bills and bills. A, a customer at a restaurant complains about a dirty fork, and then the manager comes out and, and kills himself, commits harakari, and then Mongo comes out from the kitchen with a mink cleaver <laughs> screaming about revenge, and it's it's crazy. Um, the upper class twit of the year, which of course ends with all the contestants uh, <laughs> killing themselves. Uh, but that was in '71, and it was uh, it was a, a, a collection of their of their sketches. It wasn't until 1975, really, that. Um, Monty Python and the Hollywood, uh, excuse me, and the Holy Grail came out, yeah. and that was uh, arguably one of their masterpieces. I, I have an affinity, <clears throat> great fondness for Meaning of Life, but Holy Holy Grail is the one that everyone quotes, that everyone knows, that everyone yeah. can go with, right? Uh, let's talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I uh, I I originally uh, uh, wrote about this a little bit uh, last year. When I was doing a series on my uh, on my blog about the movies of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, yes. because, uh, and so uh, I have to say, I I think that's probably one of the most uh, influential films uh, of the 20th century in terms of the the memes that it's generated, the jokes that it's generated, the number of people who you know will. Uh, who were uh, impressed and, and, and enough about it to, to make the quotes uh, that, that, that is the film that I think it, it, I don't know that it's their best movie, but I think it's the one that they all are, are remembered for, um, Agreed. But, yeah. you know, because it's just so it's accessible. That's the thing about it. That's, that's great is, is ex, it's very accessible. It was probably way more accessible for, for uh, British audiences than American audiences, but weirdly because Dungeons the dragons uh, sort of dropped a, a smart bomb into a lot of 12 year olds heads. Yeah. Right yeah. at the time that they were discovering Monty Python, there's this weird uh, uh, adjacent overlap. So, yeah. Uh, so the the armor and the horses with the coconuts and the the vorpal bunny and and they oh call God, it yes. but the fact that we call it a vorpal bunny now yes, you know yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, all of that stuff uh, just got grafted on top of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and became a part of every single game yeah. that everybody played yeah. so that's yeah. that, so yeah I mean I I I think. Uh, uh, and 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 you did this at the beginning. You had to you you had to mention that we had to sort of uh, police the quotes yeah. because if you're not careful, that's a rabbit hole everybody goes down. Yeah, and uh, you can never we, get out of. Yeah, we ha we yeah, had yeah. we had a no quote Monty Python policy at the table for years. Yeah, exactly. You had to, you exactly. Had to enforce that. Yes. You had to enforce that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what's funny, you know, linked with that, although it is not officially a Python movie, but I almost see them as as uh, like a sequel. Uh, but 1977's Jabberwocky, Jabberwocky. Yeah. by by Terry Gilliam is so uh, uh, Python esque, and it's so um, Holy Grail esque. It's got that same look and feel. Um, but when I think of a D&D movie, it's Jabberwocky. It, it, the first thing that pops in my head is Jabberwocky. 
Um, so, but anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd yeah. throw that out there that I'm very fond of that movie um, and 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 their involvement in it as well. So anyway, uh, Mr. Mr. Derive, hmm? what is your name? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, Brian. No, Aaron. Oh! <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there's there's so much in that film that that you can go go down and and, and quote. No, and, 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 and Mark is correct. We would yeah. sit down and say, okay, we're gonna start playing. The first person yeah. that says a freaking uh, quote from yeah. Holy Grail is nope. gonna get like a an XP punishment or a yeah. Or yeah. You're, you know whatever. You're gonna lose a magic item. Right. And right. Like, oh, okay, okay. I won't. Right. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> yeah. The first person who taunts us French like with you know your father's <laughs> milk right. elderberry is, right. uh, is gonna is gonna get it. Now that taunt you a second time. That uh, that film was directed by both Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. They took they took uh, dual responsibility on that one. No one wanted to fund that film. Uh, no studio wanted to anyway. So rock stars Elton John, Pink Floyd, and Led Zeppelin, those bands, they did. They funded it. And they saw it as a, as a tax write-off. So it's fantastic. Which is, yeah. I love the fact that fucking cool bands funded that movie. Right. Um, not just cool bands, but one of the bands that sing about Mordor and Gollum for crying out loud. Exactly. That is pop culture disappearing up its own asshole. It truly uh, yeah. is. It truly is. And is that, you know, come to think of it, is that, because it was directed by Gilliam and Jones, is that Gilliam's first movie? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, there we go. There we go. It really is. That's, that's what launched him. Yeah. The Terry Gilliam, uh, of course, you know, who has become one of our most respected directors, um, if not a little temperamental, but certainly respected. Um, yeah, his 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 origins, of course, in that uh, in that area. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and, and move past uh, Grail before I start to quoting the um, Book of Armaments and the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes. And move yes. on to, to 1979's Paul is right out. <laughs> three times. Three. Yeah. Um, Sorry, folks. Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's tough. I, know. It's tough. I just, yeah. I just lost the magic item. I know. It's, it's tough. You just, you can't get me. Um, Monty Python's Life of Brian in 1979, oh which was condemned by the Roman Catholic Church. Yay! Uh, to say, you know, the, the the parody of it all. But again, Terry Jones as as Brian's mother, having one of the greatest quotes ever. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Um, <laughs> In that film, <laughs> there is. I think I think that's their funniest movie. I I think that's the one they stuck the landing on. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with that actually. Uh, Life of Brian has has it, it is it feels the most complete. It feels like it is from beginning to end. They knew exactly what they were doing and they delivered. Um, which, uh, which, and again, and directed by Terry Jones, I'm, I'm disappointed that Terry Jones actually didn't go on to a similar career like Gilliam, uh, because actually, if, if this was, if this was a sample of his work, uh, I think he was, a, he was, a, he was a great director. Um, but, uh, but no, Life of Brian, and and mind you, I came from a very religious family. We were raised Catholic. We converted to Mormonism. Um, and and if there's anybody that you can find that's more crazy about Jesus than Catholics, it's Mormons. Yeah. Um, and so to watch this as a as a, almost like a it's a blasphemy. It was a blasphemy that you're watching this. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I loved it. 
Well, they didn't. After the, the, the somewhat success of, of Holy Grail, they were hounded as to what their next film's going to be. Python. What do you got to do? What are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? And um, it was Eric Idle who joked and said, "Oh, fine, we're doing Jesus Christ: Lust for Glory." That's the name of the film. And you know, they all thought <laughs> it was funny. But then they all agreed that you know Jesus wasn't really a subject that they could tackle. In in Idle's words, not funny, but very decent. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I the story of the the mistaken Messiah who happens to have been born in a stable next to Jesus, uh, and this mistaken is the Messiah Brian, who joins the um, uh, anti-Roman movement, the People's Front of Judea, and uh, and it tries. Wait, everyone... wait, I thought it was the People's Judean Front. Oh no, right. <laughs> oh, no. I'm confused. I'm confused. we wouldn't have anything to do with those people, the splitters. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> blessed, blessed are the cheesemakers. All right, the um, <laughs> and and this 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 ardent group of followers that that like and it's so telling and it's such a biting uh, 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 parody of religion and how that gets blown out of proportion. Oh my God, this sandal, this this sandal's amazing. I'm gonna worship this sandal, you know, because he touched it or whatever. Um, I could see where organized religions probably didn't care for that sort of thing uh, because it pointed out their own hypocrisy, their hypocrisies and, and weaknesses. Um, but I thought it was done as a, as a practicing Catholic. I find it incredibly entertaining and not offensive at all. In fact, I think it's very important to watch. Um, they don't make fun. Of, they don't make fun of Jesus at all. Right. You right. know, it's, it's a completely separate story, but... Now, now, mind you, mind you, where is they're not making fun of Jesus? They're making fun of everything that many Jesus worshipers do. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's, that's yeah. what is offending people. Yeah. Not really that they're making fun of the Messiah. No, they're making fun of people's reaction to a right. Messiah. Well, again, going back to Eric Idle, not very funny, very decent person, that Jesus, not very funny. So right. we're not going to touch him. And they shouldn't, and, and because t making fun of his followers is so much easier and so oh, yes. much better, you know. Um, yeah, that, that yeah. Movie, specific, that movie specifically, the ones that get it wrong, you know. Yes. It's the it's the ones that that uh, uh, misinterpret willfully or otherwise that yeah. Uh, yeah. that that the ones that feel the sting of the uh, of the ironic bite. Oh my right. God! You're kidding. They should sit down every televangelist currently and every follow fanatic follower of we know you know who. And show them this movie because today it has extreme relevance. Very much so. And Terry Jones said it isn't blasphemous because it doesn't touch on belief at all. It's heretical because it touches on dogma and the interpretation of belief rather than belief itself. That's and correct. That's, that's the magic of that film. That's how that's that works. Um, George Harrison, who was a big fan of Mind of Python, he uh, basically funded this movie himself, the entire thing, handmade films, fully financed this film. And it was shot wow. in Tunisia on leftover sets from uh, Jesus of Nazareth from 1977. Um, so that's that's I just I love the fact that they walked on same sets and stuff um, and, and did that film. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, oh, have you guys um, uh, heard of my friend? Because... <laughs> yeah. Oh my what God! Is, that, entire, that entire <laughs> moment with the two guards trying to yeah. not fucking crack up, which yeah. always makes me wonder, and, and and I'm sure there's urban myths about this. That that was that scripted, or or what was he actually just 
trying, he was doing the scene, and the two extras were just yeah. desperately trying not to laugh. Not to laugh. Uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Because <coughs> he, like, gets right in their face. Just, yeah. <laughs> the thing about th this, and this is why uh, I can point to Michael Palin, uh, he really knows how to, how, to, how to pull a moment out of a character, right? Uh, and this, this particular scene is probably uh, the, the, the funniest thing he ever did. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, when he gets on the other guard's face <laughs> and he gets in his face, <laughs> when I say the name, Dickus. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he and he's just just again the word play you know uh all of the all of the r words so that he yeah. could put the w on the end of it you know yeah. so good well, uh, and, and, and this which is why i wonder if this was this just fucking improvised because then he, he does that turn and he says he has a wife you know <laughs> And you see, and you see the one guard kind of go, oh, 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 the pain on his face is uh, is beautifully shot. Yeah, uh, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh my god, so much fun working on one of their films. Must have been so much goddamn fun. Um, and, and it pales. It makes it makes today's. I mean, comedy is is eternal, and comedy is uh, one of those things that I think personally is sacred and should not be censored or touched. You should be able to do comedy. Comedy is parody. It's irreverence. It's body. It's whatever you want with no consequences. I, and I don't care what side of the political stream you want to be on, ladies and gentlemen. I think comedy is a sacred ground. It's like yeah, it's hollow ground. Totally. You should be able to say whatever you want with no consequences. Unfortunately, today's society, in today's world, that's not the case. Right. But I personally believe that comedy is sacred and you should be able to mock or parody or point out. Even if you don't agree, appreciate the build, the humor, the, ex the, the, the way it's executed. Um, I, I, I'm going to move quickly to the next and, and third official Python film. Uh, which is my personal favorite. I think uh, out of Holy Grail and Life of Brian, for me, my favorite Monty Python film is Monty Python's The Meaning of Life from 1983. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think it's their masterpiece myself. Uh, that's the movie that I can quote from beginning to end. That's the movie that uh, my, my dear friend Mervyn Burnett and I uh, sat in a swimming pool during a speech tournament back in college, very, very drunk, and basically did the whole movie in that pool. Um, nice. You know, there's there, there are magic moments, again, directed by Terry Jones uh, in that film, where they, they go from birth to death throughout <laughs> throughout all of our us existence as, as human beings on this planet and try to point the spotlight on the more ridiculous aspects of what it is to be human and, and yeah. to be alive. Um, some of the standouts include the sex education sequence, where John Cleese is teaching... Uh, a, a sex education class to a class uh, full of uh, private school kids uh, and, and rather graphically, but also very academically right. teaching them uh, the, the sex. And of course, everyone remembers Mr. Creosote, the normalcy oh, fan, uh, Terry Jones character, <laughs> yeah. uh, who, who basically eats his uh, eats everything in a large bucket. Um, and, 
<laughs> absurdly fat, absurdly fat. And of course, the Every Sperm is Sacred song, where yeah. the bloody Catholics filling up the bloody world with bloody kids that can't afford to bloody feed, um, are singing songs about how every sperm is sacred and I can't wear a condom. Um, it's To me, it's their brilliance, their, their, their height of their brilliance. Yeah. And then, by the way, and, and I, the moment sticks out because it's just, it's partially kind of shocking, but the live organ transplant. <laughs> down on the goddamn table in the background and blood is spewing out and they're having the discussion at the front it's like oh my god <laughs> but he's still using it <laughs> and then of course that leads into the beautiful galaxy song of which i know every word oh yeah um that, that takes terry jones on this beautiful tour of the galaxy and makes her feel really small and insignificant how amazingly unlikely is your birth you can pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space because there's bugger all down here on Earth. And yeah. he convinces her to give her her liver. G give them her liver uh, at the end of that. Um, I, I think out of the three, Meaning a Life is probably not as revered by, by most people. Um, it was their swan song in, in as far as movies go. Uh, uh, you know, original movies, beginning to end kind of thing. Um, I just... I just I love the absurdity of it. I love yeah, the absurdity yeah. of it. Yeah, and, that, that has one the of the real Go ahead. I'm sorry. And the real message too about you know uh, about what it means to be alive and and taking things for granted. And at the end, when all the characters from the entire film who have been killed or died in horrible ways show up in heaven, and and Graham Chapman sings "It's Christmas in Heaven." It puts a smile on my face. It makes me warm and happy. I love yeah. the fact that heaven is like a nightclub. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're all singing it's and having a good time. Yeah. And, and that has, by the way, that has one of the lines that we continue to use to this day. And I don't even know fucking why, but the whole, you know, it went, what did my eye did do? What? Oh, yeah. What does that mean? What, what is going on here? It's in his trousers. <laughs> Oh, and death. John Cleese as death in that in that film uh, has some of the great lines too, where he 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 takes the entire dinner party with him, and and because they all ate the salmon mousse that was it bad. Was the salmon uh, mousse. Oh, the cat salmon. I didn't have the mousse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you Americans, you always talk and talk and you say, I just want to say this and let me say something. Well, you're dead now, so shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, the meaning of life, Michael Palin uh, reads at the end, opens up the envelope and reads the meaning of life. Try to be nice to people, uh, avoid getting enormously fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in, and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. There you go. Meaning in life. Yeah. It is. It's. I, th I think probably that's their most uh, polished piece. Absolutely. Uh, it's the one that has the most for, for it, it's the most like Monty Python in that it's got these vignettes uh, but but it's stitched together in the best way, so you can really kind of see that there's a, there's an evolution from a now for something completely different that goes to this. It's sort of the the end is the beginning, you know, in that right. regard. Um, Very true. Uh, and 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 everybody's on point. I think they had the biggest budget, uh, or if if not the biggest budget, they had the 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 most technical acumen to make it look bigger 
than it was. Yes, you know, so that was the uh, that's the the thing of that 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 I find uh, uh, so interesting is that you know e- even while all this was going on and in, in the middle of this they were doing the live shows and, mm-hmm. and the record albums were coming out. Yes, uh, they they that's were correct. not they were not they were still a cult phenomenon mm-hmm. in that the the higher ups still didn't get it you know they were that was still who they were railing against even though they'd kind of become older themselves uh and it was still very much uh an underground slash college uh slash angry young man kind of a kind of a thing so so all of this was done on the backs of of basically just a few people who had the vision to go yep we need more of this well uh and and I want to point the spotlight briefly on Eric Idle and his his musicality uh, that he brought to the to the troupe. Now they all took turns singing, and they all wrote songs, and they all performed songs. But Eric Idle seemed to be the one that that really focused on it so much so that he became a Broadway writer and producer uh, with some of the old stuff and and brought things like Spamalot to to Broadway to huge success. Um, Monty Python sings the album where they have a, a, comp- a compilation of of a- almost all their songs that they have ever done. Is is a is a joy. It's one of those those albums that I listen to. Yes, folks, I said album. Sorry. Um, <laughs> album. Okay, I, okay, boomer. Right. <laughs> What's that's an album? Uh, yeah. It's one of the it's one of the albums that I listen to, uh, and it always picks me up. I, I have it constantly on my digital device. I listen to it in the car whenever I'm feeling down. Always look on the bright side of life, which oh, lifts yeah. me up every single time I hear it. Um, it's it's funny. It's irreverent. Isn't it awfully nice to have a penis? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, just there's 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 so they're so spot on, man. They're so spot on. Um, quickly, I want to go through the not quite official films. Now, Aaron mentioned Jabberwocky, which is not an official Monty Python film, but directed by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It also had uh, Terry Jones, uh, Terry Gilliam. It's very Python esque, uh, including the Secret Policeman's Ball. Another uh, Python-esque, which had John Cleese in it. Time Bandits, also oh, yeah. very uh, Python-esque. Uh, Yellowbeard, which is the pirate parody film uh, that had Graham Chapman. A Fish Called Wanda could arguably be Python-inspired. Yeah. As well as Fierce Creatures uh, from 97. Yeah. Um, and, it was, you know, these, these are films that, that, that took the Python um, scepter. Uh, the blessing, if you will, and and, and created their own insanities. Um, yeah. yeah, and, and the, the influence is certainly there. Um, we talked about Spamalot, uh, and of course, Terry Gilliam, his movies that he has done. There's always that that freedom that I think you, when you watch Terry Gilliam, you should feel. Everything from uh, The Fisher King to, um, what was the Don Quixote movie? Have you guys ever seen it? Did you guys see the Don Quixote movie? That he not, did the, the, not, yeah, not the movie, but I saw I saw the document the, right, the documentary the, of the cursed show. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. The Imaginarium <laughs> of Doctor Paranassus, or whether after Heath Ledger died. And, yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, it's but, but this is a talent, and he honed that that talent in the absurdity. Time Bandits probably is the most um, obvious one because of how many of the Python people are involved in it. Yeah. But I, I'd, uh, say, I'd say I'd say both Jabberwocky and Time Bandits are, yeah. are so Python. I mean, they're so Python. Yeah. Um, but I love Time Bandits. I think Time Bandits is a is a wonderful film, and uh, and I'm glad that it has the mark of Monty Python throughout the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Totally. 
John Cleese, of course, um, Faulty Towers to even playing Q in James Bond movies for heaven's oh. sake. John Cleese is, is uh, he is a worldwide phenomenon. Everyone recognizes him, his voice, his humor. Um, you can't you can't deny his influence. Michael Palin had a wonderful series on uh, about called around around the world with Michael Palin. I think it was called where he would do travel um, and take you to different parts of of, of the world. Uh, it was called. It was actually. Um, I think it was called Around the World in Eighty Days, right? That he did that. It was a documentary. Did you guys ever see that? Uh, I, I, I've seen some of the travel shows. He's really yeah. funny on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 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 real uh, deep dive is uh, ripping yarns. Oh yes. <laughs> that's that's another very good one. Um, Michael Terry Jones, of course. Um, you know. He had a travel show. Didn't Terry Jones have a travel show? His show is a more of a historical travel show because Terry okay. Jones is very fascinated with medieval history and Roman history, right. and uh, and and did uh, it's a show called uh, Absolutely Anything. Um, remember Eric the Viking? I think he was involved in that as well. Yes, yes. Oh, I loved Eric the Viking. Yes. <laughs> Tim yeah. McHenry screaming, yeah. "He said my father died of old age." <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely anything was 2015 and that was uh robin williams in his last film role um and it was the story of, of, of uh, neil clark played by simon Pegg, who's given uh, omnipotence by aliens seeking to determine whether humans have the impulse to do good or do bad every single monty python those surviving monty python members at the time uh, lent their voices to that so they're cool. all in there except of course graham chapman who passed away Chapman, by the way, <laughs> when he did pass, the Pythons did a great tribute to him where they showed up at this um, at the Montreal Just for Last Comedy Festival uh, en masse. Or was it Aspen? I think it was Aspen. And they all showed up except except for, for Graham Chapman, who had just died. And they they proffered a, an urn and they said, here's Graham Chapman. He's with us. Yay. And the audience claps and cheers. And they carry on with the interview. And in just a brilliant setup. Um, John Cleese puts his legs up on the on the table and knocks the urn over and hits the ground and just ashes go everywhere. <laughs> and they all panic and Terry Gilliam is crying and he's trying to scoop him up and they're all <laughs> it's such a great yeah. moment. Oh, oh goodness me. I like um, I like that even in their old age they they have refused to yield the stage to anybody's better angels. They yeah. they continue to be irreverent. They continue to be uh, acerbic. They continue to be, um, uh, you know, and and of course I think they've gotten more and more irascible over the years mm -hmm. uh, as the as they've gotten older and and uh, more the the mores have changed. You know, there was this period where they were not very fashionable, and then all of a sudden they were fashionable, and now they're not fashionable again. Right. And uh, and so I, I it it gives me hope that that they're going to again be fashionable one day yes. but uh but i love the i i, I feel like we, we've all given them I, I i feel like we we i'm grateful that we all got a chance to let them know how much we appreciated them how much we we got to sh got to tell them how much they meant to us and how much uh of an influence they were on pretty much you know, every aspect of popular culture, uh, cer certainly my, uh, my sense of humor was honed and refined, uh, watching these guys. And, uh, uh, I have a, a much finer appreciation for 
uh, for for satire and for um, you know any kind of uh, uh, commentary uh, uh, regarding uh, politics or bureaucracy. All of those things were informed by watching uh, Monty Python and sort of uh, watching them. Uh, you know, tweak the noses of the BBC. The, you know, they were they were so into biting the hand that feeds them, and, and 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 that fearlessness. You know, not you know whether it was whether it was basically telling the people that gave them money uh, to go uh, to go uh, you know uh, f themselves, or you know Terry Jones not being afraid to just be uh, bare ass naked. Uh, uh, covered up by a, a long beard and running around. I mean, yeah. the, the fearlessness that these guys all had, yeah. I think, was just yeah. was just marvelous. And uh, I, I, I really more and more admire the people who are taking those risks, whether or not they're successful. I, I appreciate the fact that they stepped out on the on on the edge of the of the branch and at least uh, did something. Uh, yeah. And, and th- those guys were the first people, I think, to really do that in a way that we could all look at and go, Oh yeah, they're, they're out there where the buses don't run. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know. How yeah. <clears throat> well, in addition to the, to the television show and the movies, you mentioned the, the albums, the recordings, I should say, you know, I guess I'll just call them recordings, uh, <laughs> but they had so many of them. I can't even go through the list of them, but you know, everything from Monty Python's flying circus through 1970, Monty Python uh, live uh, recordings, they had uh, Monty Python's contractual obligation record, Monty Python, the final ripoff, Monty Python sings. I mean, just, it, there's there's tons of them. They also did live concert tours, which, good God, would that have been amazing to see. I love Life at the Hollywood Bowl, by the way. That that filmed concert that they do uh, is truly like they're at their prime. And to sit there uh, in that crowd and watch that uh, would have been absolute a dream come true. But they reunited again. Um, and did TED shows in London in 2014. Um, basically, they said that they, 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 that they were uh, making money to um, cover costs from a producer's lawsuit over uh, profits from Spamalot. But <laughs> they called it uh, Monty Python um, Live, mostly, one down, five to go. Um, and they did all their best sketches, you know, and it's, and it's a classic, wonderful thing. They're all published authors as well, by the way. Um, <clears throat> All of them. Every single one of them has written uh, numerous books. Um, Graham Chapman's book, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, called A Liar's Autobiography, Volume 6, uh, <laughs> um, written in 1980, is, uh, is, is a real treat. Uh, I, and, I, I and, and as far as their influence, <clears throat> just jump back on that, like kids today, right? Kids today are not as familiar with Monty Python, but you bet that they love South Park and oh, they sure. love Adventure Time. And they love Big Mouth, and they love all of these shows that have clearly, clearly been influenced by the style of humor uh, that that we saw in in yeah. Monty Python and Rick and, and Morty. Know, Rick and Morty, without Morty. a doubt. I mean, I bet if you ask the creator Harmon, he'd say, "Hey, were you inspired by?" He'd be like, "Oh God, absolutely, I was inspired by Monty Python." Um, so yeah, they have had an amazing influence on on creators today and people that are making uh, 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 comedic content. Um, their their legacy will live on and on and on. I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I'm going to send you a, 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 a something via text just to to, to show my appreci- my appreciation and my love. All right, uh, that's that's for you. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> I hope I hope it's that picture that you described of you sitting buff in, in front of a in front of yeah, a that's a, that's actually kind of uh, kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, uh, he, is, there he is, folks. <laughs> my, nice. Might I say that you look a lot like fucking Terry Jones? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, dude! You you have captured the essence of Terry Jones. I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't have Mark Finn uh, on on my. Would you mind forwarding that to him? I'd like to share that with him as well. Um, <laughs> no, for no other reason than we're having this conversation. Absolutely, oh, it's it's oh. brilliant. It's brilliant. If uh, I will say that uh, for for you young whippersnappers with your uh, with your jazz records and your roller skates that uh, don't know of the Python, uh, a lot of the ancillary Python material is YouTubeable. Uh, of course, there are streaming now. The whole the shows are, and you can readily find the movies. But um, uh, the contractual I, I, obligation. I forwarded that to you, Mark. Thank you. Monty Python's contractual obligation album is on YouTube and you can listen to the bookshop sketch, uh, from, uh, from that album. And, uh, and it will, if you, if any of you ever have worked a retail job in your life, you will think this is funny. If any of you have ever worked at a bookstore ever, even if it was for just one day, you'll think it's the funniest thing you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. So, yeah. This is my promise to you and uh, our gift to the world. It's yeah. not, it's, but in, in that it's not my gift and you're not the world. But uh, other than that, <laughs> other than that, it is exactly what I just said. Nice. Well, I, I would encourage everybody who has not uh, encountered Monty Python, though, my God, you, you must be either be under 10 years old uh, or have lived under a rock your entire life. But if you have not encountered Monty Python, uh, watch any of the movies that we have talked about. Uh, you can you can you can find their shows on I'm sure all kinds of streaming services, um, and it is just worth it. It's just it is it is moments of joy that that you will watch and be so glad that you did. Uh, so yeah yeah let's let's keep the legacy of uh, of Python going. The, um, the you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no way we have said everything there is to say about Monty Python. There's just oh, no God. way. Um, uh, every, we, we absolutely urge, uh, uh, you know, an appreciation, a continued and eternal appreciation for these six very brave, unique, brilliant uh, performers. Uh, and that's that's what that is. That's, that's comedy at its core. Um, I, I'd like to quickly quote John Cleese. Uh, before we jump into our closing credits. And John Cleese said, a wonderful thing about true laughter is that it just destroys any kind of system of dividing people. And I, I really like that. I like the idea that we, as, a, as, a, as humans, if we can laugh together, we can do anything together, ladies and gentlemen. And, and I think that that's the important part here. The Gentleman Nerds is a Cloak and Dagger production and is written by Aaron Diarive, Mark Finn, Ben Gibbs, and Joseph Fotinos, with additional material provided by the Spanish Inquisition. Music composed and performed by the amazingly talented Ben Gibbs. Promotional material, logos, and the Gentleman Nerds mascot, the nameless one, created by artistic goddess Michelle Fitzpatrick. The Lobot Lounge bouncer is Maximilian, and our special guest bartender was Eric the Viking. Our executive producer is a fantastic cook and a man we all pray never gets superpowers, Aaron Diarive. The series, Monty Python's Flying Circus, did not debut in the U.S. until after it had ended in Britain. 
The premiere took place on October 6, 1974 on the Dallas PBS station KERA. And Mark Farnash is the man in the gorilla suit, web hosting by Bluehost. Join us in the Lobot Lounge when we next meet. And remember to always tip your bartenders and your waitstaff. I'm Joseph Otinos reminding you all that Red Skull lives. And Makaronki! Some of the things that they say in in retrospect of what they used to do. Uh, once again, John Cleese said the idea that you have to be protected from any kind of uncomfortable emotion is what I absolutely do not subscribe to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eric Idle said life is a comedy when watching and a tragedy when experiencing. I try to share anything I have. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Graham Chapman, we don't deliberately set out to offend unless we feel it's justified. Um, <laughs> if you change the name of the show from the Gentleman Nerds to Kittens, Kittens with a Harbor Heart Perfect. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Oh my Hello, Lord. and welcome back to Kittens with a Heart <laughs> Yeah. In fact, I, I promise you, I'm going to use that in a sentence today. <laughs> so...